machine. Hello, listeners. I am on my way up to the attic again. Apparently the effects the marble machine has on Tim and me are continuing to grow. Especially on Tim, I'm afraid. While I'm simply constantly driven by a deep need to return to the attic and the hunger in me to devour new marbles grows each week, Tim is showing further symptoms. When I came to the attic two days ago, Tim had arranged various lights, table lamps, bedside lamps, and a few candles, all facing one corner of the attic. It almost looked like they were huddled together in a debate. When I asked him what the purpose of this was, he said that the marble machine had ordered him to do so. Later, I noticed that Tim had nailed the only garbage bin we had in the attic to the ceiling right above the marble machine. The machine told him that it would be wise to have it up there to catch bad ideas. According to the marble machine, the nature of stories is such that most of the bad ideas float upwards like helium balloons, while the good ones usually hover gently above the ground. Some ideas, mostly extremely good or extremely bad ones, seem to weigh heavier than others and slip through the cracks of the floor. Hmm. Oh, there's a letter on the floor right before the attic door. Ah, it's from Mr. Pitterit, our landlord. He writes... Please forgive my forgetfulness. There is one more condition that must be respected by anyone renting the attic. If I leave anything before the attic door, you must treat it like all the other things that were in the attic when you came. By this I mean, I want you to either dispose of these things or make use of them. As long as I don't have to deal with them anymore, all is fine. Kind regards, Professor Dr. Pitterit. Well, listeners, what a strange request. Why doesn't he just throw these things away if he doesn't need them? Anyway, let's see what Tim and the marble machine are up to today. Hi, Tim. What's that awful moaning sound? I see. Listeners, apparently the marble machine has eaten too many ideas. And since I wasn't around, its belly is overly full and needs to, well, excrete something, I guess. Yes, I, I will, I will, I will. I'm sorry, Marble Machine. Here I am, ready and prepared for a new story. I think it's working, listeners. It seems the Marble Machine is already beginning to feel better. This never happened before. Four marbles at once. They're all pretty much the size of apples, but they... they look just slightly overly ripe. Not rotten, but the surface looks a bit wrinkled. Hmm, how peculiar. Tim says that this is because they're an older story. The story might contain minor mistakes and quality differences and is read by a younger version of myself. Why, 
That is perplexing indeed. Yes, of course, Tim. Nonetheless, the marble machine is very fond of giving this story an audience. Well, I'm definitely curious, and I hope you are too, listeners. And if you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to share them with us. And if, at the end of this four-part story, you liked the idea, who knows? The marble machine might drop a sequel one day. But now back to these wrinkly old marbles. All of them are green and have a yin-yang sign in them. Yin-yang green, Tim says. Okay. Apparently these marbles are all a part of one long story, divided into four parts. It is a fantasy story suitable for anyone over the age of ten, and it is somehow inspired by Far East philosophy. Hmm. If you're ready, listeners, I will eat the first one right away. <coughs> the Marble Keeper Written and narrated by Jacob Graff Recorded and edited by Tim Höfer Chapter 1 Storms coming. The marble keeper murmured to himself and looked up at the sky. The tavern was right there in front of him, and he stood still for a moment, focusing his thoughts. He took the small black marble out of its silk cloth and looked inside. The young woman behind the marble glass was as pale as winter. It wasn't the first time that the magic marble had shown him her story. But he still had hope that tonight might be the last. The young woman's husband had been a fisherman and a good father until one dark night the sea had taken him from her. After her husband died, she and her son had to move into a tiny room in a small tavern close to the seashore. The owner, a greedy man with a greedy mind and a heart of stone, had kept the young woman working like a slave, giving her just enough to eat so that she and her boy wouldn't starve. Eventually, the long, hard hours of work at the tavern took their toll, and the young woman got sick. One night, when she was already too weak to keep herself up, the woman sat down at one of the tavern tables and spoke to an old man. She thought him to be a drunken sailor at first, like most of the men coming through the tavern doors at night. It turned out, however, that he was not only a good listener with a kind heart, but that he had been to sea with her husband many times before he died. The old fisherman told her that her husband still had a brother whom she had never met, that lived in the big city on the other side of the bay. The old man was sure that the brother would take care of the young woman and her son, and he gave her an address and told her to write her brother-in-law a letter. She was so grateful, she would have hugged and danced with the old man for bringing her this wonderful news. But when she saw her boss looking suspicious, she just nodded, took the address and continued working. The next morning the young woman's sickness had become so severe that she couldn't even get out of bed. With her last strength, she decided to write her brother-in-law, 
asking him for his help. She called her son to her bed and asked him to bring the letter to the post office as fast as possible. The boy nodded and left the room, but the letter never even left the house because the tavern owner had taken it from the boy before he ever made it through the door. When the young woman fell asleep that night, she dreamed that her husband's brother would take care of her boy. She never woke from that dream. But the very moment she died, a little black-colored marble appeared inside the palm of her hand. A week after her death, a sailor, who was staying at the tavern for the night, found the marble in her room. He sold it to a merchant the next day for one gold coin. The merchant, in turn, lost the marble on one of his merchant ships, and it sailed the seven seas for many months until one day the marble keeper purchased it on a flea market hundreds of miles from the tavern. The marble keeper was still a young man at the time, but the life he led and the roads he had traveled had already shared their wisdom with him, and he knew a magic marble when he saw one. There are only two kinds of magic marbles in the world. The white fog marbles that contain the fulfilled dreams of those who had made what they wished for in life come true, and the black fog marbles containing the unfulfilled dreams of those who didn't. If an unfulfilled dream is as strong as that of the young woman, a bond of true magic is formed the moment the marble keeper first touches the marble. John Haven felt it the moment he saw the marble lying there on the flea market table. He didn't like looking into the black marbles, but helping the lost and wandering souls fulfill their last dreams was an inevitable part of being a marble keeper. John followed his heart's voice and let it lead him far away into a foreign country. He traveled over hill and valley, crossed the oceans, and walked long roads until one windy night he stood in front of the doors of the very tavern the young woman had died in. Storms coming, he thought again, and swung open the tavern doors. He closed his eyes and focused his heart magic, making two people appear in his inner vision. The first aura he sensed was surrounded by a dark and foul energy, while the second was warm and pure, but fear had made it weak over the years. The tavern's closed, private party tonight. Get out, the tavern owner growled. When the marble keeper closed his heart side and opened his eyes, he stood before a crowd of ten men huddled around the bar laughing, shouting and waving with bundles of cash. They were betting on a little boy who was standing on top of the bar. Let's see who will go along with this one, the tavern owner shouted and pulled out the corpse of a dead rat from underneath the bar. Boy eats the whole thing without throwing up. I win. He throws up before he finishes, I lose. Gentlemen, place your bets. Grunts and cheers of agreement came from the men, and the barkeeper held up a wooden cane that made the boy's eyes widen with fear. Eat, boy, the tavern owner ordered, swinging his arm back, ready to bring the wooden cane down onto the boy's back. The marble keeper was a tall man, and you might expect that one would feel his presence when he entered a room. But he had learned how to be silent when the circumstances afforded it. The men were still cheering when the tavern owner suddenly let out a scream and sunk to his knees in pain. 
John Haven used the first thing he had found, which apparently had been an old broomstick, and swung it as hard as he could at the tavern owner's left knee. He hit the ground, and while still yelling in pain, the marble keeper seized the dead rat from his hand and shoved it down the tavern owner's throat. No more games tonight, he whispered, and took the hand of the boy, who stared at him in amazement. You won't ever have to worry about him again, he said. Promise. Then he carried the boy out of the tavern door and into the stormy night. It took the group of drunk men a moment to realize that someone had just taken their toy away from them. The tavern owner, spitting out pieces of dead rat, shouted furiously, Get them! Get them! Five hundred for anyone who gets that son of a goat that just hit me! Four men who weren't too drunk to walk stood up, grabbing kitchen knives and torches on their way out, and took up the chase. The tavern owner stumbled back on his feet a few moments later, and with him, the rest of the crowd went after the marble keeper. What's your name? John Haven asked the boy. I can't say, sir. Why? The cane, sir. What cane? Rules, sir. I I'm not allowed. The owner of the tavern tell you that? Yes, sir. Said that if I tell my name to anyone, he will use the cane. I don't want that. The marble keeper needed the boy's name to find his uncle, but he could deal with that later. For now, his plan was a simple one. A small rowing boat waited at the rocky shore at the end of the village, and it would take them both to the city across the bay. John Haven never planned far ahead. Life had taught him not to worry too much about what the future would bring. One thing was sure, though. His duty wasn't fulfilled until the boy was safe and had someone that would look after him. Thunder roared, and once more, the marble keeper looked up at the sky. He put the boy down and looked at him seriously. Can you run? The boy nodded. Okay, after me, as fast as you can, he said, and they continued down a steep hill, which led down to the seashore. The first four pursuers caught up with them just as the marble keeper helped the boy from one of the rocks into the small wooden boat. Wait here, and don't make a sound. I'll be right back, he told him. Heading back over the rocks, the marble keeper turned to fight. He didn't like fighting, but one must say that over the years he had developed a certain talent for it. The marble keeper closed his eyes and listened to the beat of his heart. We got you now, big boy. Not so brave anymore, huh? That's what you get for sticking your nose into other people's business. What? Are you too scared to look at us? The biggest of the group standing closest shouted laughing. It's the storm that worries me, John answered calmly, still not opening his eyes. The more adrenaline there was rushing through him, the better he could focus on the magic flowing through his soul, and again he began to see with his heart. The auras of his pursuers showed up in different colors, each revealing their true nature, and with it all of their weaknesses. He closed his eyes as the four drunk men surrounded him, and he saw their actions coming just before they actually moved. It took the marble keeper three seconds to disarm the first man of his knife, knock him unconscious with its hilt, dive away under the swinging fist of the second, plant the blade of the knife in his foot, kick at the legs of the third man as he came plunging forward, and leave him lying flat on his back. Upon witnessing the scene, the fourth man, not a particularly brave individual, decided that he had something better to do than getting stabbed in his foot and ran away. Meanwhile, the tavern owner came toppling down the hill himself and stood about ten feet away from the marble keeper. He was trembling and hesitated just a little too long, 
giving the marble keeper the time he needed to rush at him and press the knife's blade against his throat. The boy's last name. What? The tavern owner asked and felt the knife being pushed a little harder against the soft skin on his throat. Stevenson! Stevenson! he stuttered. His name is Stevenson, damn it! Liam Stevenson! The marble keeper dragged him over the slippery rocks into the boat, and together the three of them started heading for open waters. Give him your coat, the marble keeper commanded. The tavern owner hesitated, but the sight of the tall man with the knife made him not hesitate too long. And now, swim! The tavern owner's eyes widened in horror. But it's freezing, and I'm not a very good swimmer, and the waves... The waves are getting higher and... The marble keeper pulled some money out of his pocket and showed it to the tavern owner. You like to gamble? Let's make a bet. I bet that you will make it back to the shore before the storm hits. If you don't, the money is yours. But I guess it might not be of much use to you at the bottom of the sea. But if I win and you make it to the other side, I want you to make a promise. I want you to promise to yourself that you will change your life. You will start tomorrow by doing one good deed a day. And if you don't, if you just miss out one single day, I will come looking for you. That's a promise. Now swim. Who are you? The tavern owner stuttered. The marble keeper took a step towards him, pointed the knife at him, and thunder cracked as he spoke again. Swim. Ice-cold water splashed into the boy's face as the tavern owner disappeared into the darkness. The further they got away from the shore, the safer he began to feel, and he started to like the strange man who had saved him from the cane and freed him from the tavern. The huge wave that came with the storm hit the boat hard and lifted it right up into the night sky. There was a shout, and the boy hid under his seat in fear. He didn't dare look until the wave had set the boat back down. But when he opened his eyes, the marble keeper was gone. Chapter 2 Like many other kids her age, Claudia loved weekends. One reason being, of course, that she didn't have to go to school. But to Claudia, weekends were more than that. They were a chance to visit her grandfather. Not every weekend, but on a regular basis, she and her parents would drive to his big old house in the countryside. Claudia's grandfather lived alone, with practically no other houses within a mile or so. It wasn't really the type of place you would expect a little girl to enjoy hanging out at. But then again, Claudia wasn't just any little girl. Sometimes, when her parents had a lot of work to do, they would drop her off on Friday after school and leave her with her grandfather right until the middle of the next week. Claudia loved when that happened. It wasn't that Claudia hated school, but staying with her grandfather and going to Mrs. Thompson's boring history class just couldn't compete. There were plenty of reasons why Claudia loved her grandfather's place more than anything. He would let her stay up as long as she wanted to. He told far better good night stories than her mom or her dad. And he always knew exactly when Claudia needed a hot chocolate with whipped cream and marshmallows on top. But the real reason why Claudia loved visiting him so much was that she was totally and utterly fascinated by marbles. And her grandfather happened to be the owner of the most remarkable marble collection in the whole wide world. She didn't really know why, but she could just play with those marbles for ages. 
She would look at them from every angle or invent games or sometimes just hide them in her long curly dark hair and then shake it until they all fell out again. Her grandfather kept all of his marbles sorted in 13 wooden boxes, each of which were labeled with a special wooden carving to indicate the type of marbles that were kept inside. There were 12 white boxes made of ivory wood and one black box made of ebony wood, although he always kept the ebony box locked well away and never showed it to anyone, not even Claudia. What fascinated Claudia most was that her grandfather knew a story to every single marble he owned. You see this blue one, he would say, for example, showing Claudia an immaculate crystal blue marble with a tiny dot in the middle. And then he would tell her what he always told her when he showed her a new marble. Now look at me, little lady. Don't you ever forget that these are all magic marbles. You do remember what every single one of them contains, right? Claudia knew, because her grandfather had told her many times before. Every magic marble in his collection contained a dream. A dream that someone somewhere in the world had made come true. This blue marble, for instance, her grandfather would continue his story, and tell Claudia that it contained the dream of a young sailor who had set out to sail around the world and back again in a boat made of plastic that people had thrown into the sea. At first, the people laughed at him because his boat was so tiny and they thought that he would never even make it to the next island. But the sailor had developed a unique technique of working every new piece of plastic garbage that he found along his journey directly into the body of the boat. And so the boat grew the further the sea took him, and by the time he had returned to the shores of his homeland, it was by far the biggest boat in the whole harbor. Sometimes Claudia looked at the crystal blue marble and thought that its color did kind of resemble the color of the sea, and that the tiny rectangular spot inside it might really be the sailor's plastic boat. She had often hoped for her grandfather's stories to be true, but never really believed them, until one day he decided to show her. It was one of those cold and rainy November afternoons that made her grandpa's place the perfect place to stay inside and play with his marble collection. Claudia was so busy playing that she didn't even notice her grandfather coming in with a big smile on his face. Remember what I told you about the marbles? He asked, as he often did, and Claudia looked up in surprise. Yes, of course, she answered, a little annoyed. And I know you have more marbles that you never show me, because you say their magic is dangerous. But Grandpa, I still don't get why. They are just marbles. And you know I don't believe in magic. Oh, no, my dear. They are not just marbles, her grandfather insisted. Remember that I told you that you can see the magic in a marble best when the dream inside it is still very young. Claudia looked at him skeptically. She decided that she wasn't going to be treated like a child who believes in everything people tell her. You always talk about magic, Grandpa, but 
She paused a little, not wanting to be too hard on him or hurt his feelings. But it doesn't even exist. Her grandfather smiled at her and said, Well, guess what, little lady? Today I will prove to you that it does. I feel that a new marble was born. Do you want to help me search for it? Claudia nodded excitedly, and her grandfather told her to put on her raincoat and boots, because, like in every one of his stories, magic marbles don't just get delivered to you by the postman. You can't just buy them in a shop either. You have to find them. Claudia did as she was told, but after walking through a quite unpleasant, misty autumn evening, she started feeling a little uncomfortable. Her grandfather told her that he had actually spent most of his life traveling the whole wide world to find magic marbles, and that they were extremely lucky indeed, that today they would only have to walk down the next road through a tiny bit of rain. It took Claudia some time to realize where they were going, but then, through the mist and the tiny trickles of rain, she spotted the shadowy silhouette of a house she had been to before. It was the house of Mr. Gattersby, who had been an old friend and neighbor of her grandfather for many years. But, as she knew, he had died several weeks ago. They knocked on the front door, and to Claudia's surprise, a young woman opened and smiled. The lady invited them in, and soon Claudia found out that she was Mr. Gattersby's daughter, Miss Gattersby was really lovely and kind to Claudia, and the hot chocolate she made was almost as good as her grandfather's. After talking to her for a little while, Claudia had forgotten all about why she and her grandfather had come here in the first place. The thought of magic didn't cross her mind once, and she didn't even notice her grandfather leaving the room at one point, because she was too busy assisting Miss Gattersby make more hot chocolate. By the time they said goodbye, Claudia was feeling so tired that her grandfather had to carry her all the way home. And when they finally got there, she fell asleep as soon as she climbed into her bed. Waking up the next morning, the first thing on her mind was that her grandfather had fooled her by not showing her any magic at all. But before she could get up and out of the bed, he entered the room with a tiny piece of silk cloth in his hand. Well, well, isn't this the little lady who was so tired she didn't even want to see any real magic anymore? He said and laughed. So, are you ready now? Claudia felt a little embarrassed and nodded. Her grandfather sat by her side, unfolded the silk cloth, and showed her a jelly-like thing about the size of a walnut, with nothing but white fog inside. What is it? Claudia said, rubbing sleep from her eyes. A very, very young marble, just born a couple of weeks ago. It takes time for them to take shape. But you can help. Don't be scared. Take a closer look, her grandfather said, handing her the marble. She took it and saw that the white-colored fog was moving as if it were trapped inside the marble. The white fog, she whispered, remembering her grandfather tell her about it. As she stared at the marble, something happened that nearly made her jump out of bed. 
amid all the blurry white fog, she could suddenly see something move. And the more she looked at it, that something started turning into a tiny, small, human-like figure with arms and legs and a little head. She stared at the figure inside the marble, and the more she focused, the more clearer the tiny image became. At one point, it even seemed to grow and come toward her. And for the glimpse of a second, she saw a face that she recognized. Mr. Gattersby, Claudia shouted, and she turned to her grandfather. Keep watching, he said in a soft voice, and Claudia turned back to what was going on inside the marble. Now the image had changed, and Claudia saw a group of young African men who were working on some kind of field. Mr. Gattersby was there too, talking to one of the workers. Some of the men started hugging and praising Mr. Gattersby, and one of them even fell on his knees to thank him. Tiny little goosebumps formed on Claudia's arms, and the more she watched the marble's magic unfold, the more she felt being dragged in and becoming a part of the story itself. Once again the setting changed, revealing to Claudia a little shop on a busy street. It was Mr. Gattersby's little corner store where her grandfather had often bought his coffee. He had told Claudia that it was the best coffee in the whole town because the people harvesting it were very happy people. And the reason why they were so happy was because Mr. Gattersby saw it as his personal duty that the working conditions were good and that the workers were always paid enough money. Mr. Gattersby came from a wealthy family and he had never run his shop for his own benefits, but had given all of its profits to the people on the field. The little coffee business had been Mr. Gattersby's lifelong dream, and when he died, it manifested itself inside the magic marble. Claudia closed her eyes, realizing what a good person Mr. Gattersby had been, and how happy it must have made him to have lived his dream. When she opened them again, she saw that the marble had become harder, less jelly-like, and that there was barely any white fog inside it anymore. The images had changed too. The white fog had turned to the green color of the coffee fields, and in the middle of the marble there was a tiny building, which, if one knew it, looked exactly like a tiny version of Mr. Gattersby's little coffee shop. What a pretty marble you made, she heard her grandfather's voice say. I, Claudia stuttered, why yes of course, that is how it works. That is how we create them. Claudia knew the story very well. She had heard her grandfather talk about the people who find magic marbles and that they were called marble keepers. But what she had just seen changed everything. You really are a marble keeper, she whispered. When a person dies, a marble appears, she remembered her grandfather's words. The marble keepers feel them appearing but only if they focus very intensely, a bit like an ordinary person feeling his own heartbeat. You don't actually feel it beating the whole day, but when you sit still and put your hand on your chest, you know it is there. Now heart magic, you must understand, doesn't depend on time. And while in our world, 
Just a few seconds or minutes had passed when Claudia looked into the marble. It had felt like a whole week to her. By creating her first magic marble, Claudia had inherited a gift. From now on, whenever she looked into one of her grandfather's marbles long enough, she could see and feel the dream it contained, as if being part of it herself. Be careful, little lady. Some marbles are stronger than others, and there are some very potent ones among my collection, her grandfather warned her. He told her that the twelve boxes were labeled with wooden carvings to indicate the order of how strong the magic was that they contained. Once, Claudia's grandfather showed her a very old marble out of the twelfth ivory box. I found this one in the Scottish Highlands when I was still a young man, he said. The marble had been lying around in the world for many hundred years before it became part of my collection. Weak marbles just vanish after some time. But if the dream they contain is very strong and wants to be found, its magic can remain within the world for centuries. Some of the things you see in strong marbles, such as these, stay with you forever. And they might not always be pleasant. Claudia fixed her eyes on the marble, and its magic was so strong that she felt it pull her inside almost instantly. The surroundings of her grandfather's living room suddenly vanished, and she heard the noise of hundreds of horses and metal clashing against metal. Moments later, she found herself in the middle of some strange medieval battle. It felt as if she was the knight whose dream she was in, mounted on a tall horse, feeling her heart beat faster and faster. At one point, the sounds of the fighting and the clattering of the horse's hooves began to die down. The knight turned his back on the battlefield and rode away. For days on end, he sat on his horse, passing through villages, forests and plains, until finally he reached a small turquoise lagoon amid a beautiful wood. There he descended his horse and took off his armor. Not far from him, right by the water, stood a tiny stone hut and three kids and a woman came waving and welcomed him home. The kids hugged their father, and the knight looked deep into his wife's eyes and said that there would be nothing to be afraid of now that the evil had been defeated. So many dead people, Claudia said, shivering after seeing the knight's dream in the marble. I was never quite sure if what that marble showed me had really taken place in our world or somewhere else her grandfather said. There are other worlds than ours? Yes, little lady, yes there are. But you must be tired now after looking at something as strong as the old knight's marble. Grandpa, Claudia asked, wondering, that was a marble from the twelfth ivory box, right? Yes, her grandfather replied. What about the thirteenth one? The ebony box. Can I see those marbles too? Her grandfather sighed, as if he had already been waiting for that question. Until now, Claudia had mostly seen the beauty and not the dark side there was to magic. He decided that even though he couldn't show them to her yet, it was time to tell her the secret of the marbles he had kept hidden from her for so long. The marbles in the ebony box, he began, are the real reasons why we marble keepers do what we do. They are the ones that are born from the black fog. 
he told her that these were the marbles with the unfulfilled dreams. When you look inside a black marble, you see the tragedy the person had faced during his life. The souls connected to these black marbles stay haunted by their unfulfilled dreams until someone fulfills those dreams for them. That is the destiny of the marble keepers. Once we succeed, the marble changes and the trapped soul is free to start a new journey and a new life. But how? Claudia wanted to know. Patience, little lady. You have the gift, her grandfather said, after he had finished explaining. The gift that made me who I am today. But I can't let you look inside a black marble just yet. You will make that choice by yourself some other day. Weeks and months passed after the day her grandfather told her about the black marbles. And each time she visited, her grandfather would teach Claudia another lesson on what it meant to be a true marble keeper. Meanwhile, she had seen the dreams of every single marble in all of the twelve boxes. But whenever she asked about the marbles in the ebony box, all her grandfather would say was, Patience, little lady, the day will come maybe even sooner than you wish for. The next school year was just about to start and Claudia had stayed with her grandfather for nearly two weeks in a row. When her parents came to pick her up, she refused to leave and begged to stay just a little longer, but her parents wouldn't let her. Despite what her grandfather had said about keeping the magic marbles a secret, she decided to tell her parents, hoping that they would understand and let her stay. Stop talking such nonsense and get in the car, her mother said. Those fairy tales your grandfather made up are no excuse for missing school at all, young lady. But they're all true, Claudia insisted. Grandpa, I know I wasn't supposed to say, but you have to show them. They are not marble keepers, little princess. They wouldn't understand, her grandfather sighed. And then he turned to her parents. I do believe that another day with me wouldn't hurt your daughter. There's a lot I still have to explain to her. Things I don't think they can teach her in school. Maybe it was wrong of her grandfather to take sides with Claudia. Maybe not. The result was, however, that Claudia's parents got very mad and they decided that for the time being Claudia's grandfather wasn't a good influence on their daughter and that for some weeks at least, they weren't going to let her visit him anymore. Don't worry, Claw, her grandfather said when she left. They won't be angry for long. It's not their fault. Not everyone sees what we see. But knowing that didn't make it any better, and the next weeks without her grandfather were the longest and most terrible weeks Claudia had ever experienced in her young little life. Then, one day, Claudia's mother came to wake her and told her that she wouldn't be going to school today, but that they would go and visit her grandfather. Claudia's heart jumped with joy, but before she could say anything, her mother's eyes filled with tears. When Claudia saw her mother cry, she knew at once that this time visiting her grandfather didn't mean good news at all. He had been brought to a hospital after having suffered a stroke. When they arrived at the hospital, there were all kinds of plastic tubes, pipes and hoses attached to his body. External machines were there to help him breathe. 
because he was too weak to do it himself. When Claudia saw her grandfather lying there helplessly, her eyes flooded with tears. The good news was that her grandfather was stable and could be released soon. He would, however, never be able to speak or walk again for the rest of his life and needed to be taken into geriatric care or else live with his family and have someone look after him every day. Claudia's parents didn't think long, but put all past arguments aside and decided that it would be best for him to come and stay with them. Claudia spent every free minute she had at her grandfather's side, hoping and wishing that despite what the doctors said, he would get better. The weekend came, and with it a morning that Claudia would never forget. A noise woke her up in the middle of the night, and she sat in her bed, looking anxiously around the room. She was quite sure that it had come from her grandfather's room across the corridor, so she decided to go take a look. The door to his room stood open, as usual, and she found her grandfather in bed, sleeping, just as she had left him the night before. The only sound in the room was a constant pumping from the white plastic machine at the side of his bed that supplied his lungs with oxygen. Claudia sat by his side for a moment and without noticing it herself, a little tear trickled down her cheek and dropped right onto her grandfather's forehead. I wish you would tell me what to do, she whispered, and suddenly something really awkward happened. The little tear on her grandfather's forehead didn't dry as one might expect, but instead it turned golden and just vanished underneath his skin. The next thing she knew, her grandfather opened his eyes, smiled at her and said, Hey there, little lady, don't worry, I'm gonna be all right. Grandpa, you're speaking. Hush now, we don't want to wake your parents. Listen, little lady. It's time for you to let me go now. He sat up in his bed and took the tubes connecting him to the machine from out of his nose and hugged Claudia. Grandpa, no, she stuttered, her voice weak. What are you doing? Are you feeling better? How could I not be feeling better when you were here by my side, little princess? The magic and warmth of your soul has just granted me a wonderful gift, the power to speak to you for one last time. What do you mean, Grandpa? I, I don't understand. Her grandfather looked at her with deep and caring eyes. Claudia, I must rest now. My time in this world is about to end. But thanks to you, I will leave in peace. Claw, you have just shown me that a magic lies within you that I have only seen once before in my entire life, and I thought that I would never see it again before I die. Thank you. Thank you for proving me wrong. Claudia wanted to cry, but her grandfather just took her hand and said, Now listen, listen very carefully and take one last advice from your old grandpa. We live in a magical world that guards a million secrets and many unknown truths, and you have the gift to reveal them all. 
All you have to do is follow your heart. Then he let go of Claudia's hand, and to her surprise, there was a tiny little star floating inside the palm of her hand where her grandpa had touched her. Goodbye now, little lady, he sighed with a voice that sounded both satisfied and yet a little concerned. With those last words, he sunk back into his bed and fell into a deep sleep that he would never wake up from again. Claudia was trembling. She even forgot about the star and rushed right out of the room, screaming for her parents. As she did, the tiny star flew after her, and without her noticing, it sunk right into her chest and opened the magic within her heart. Welcome back again. I hope you enjoyed the first part of the story. What you are hearing in the background is the happy purring of the marble machine as I am massaging its, well, its belly, I guess. As always, if you want to keep the Marble Machine podcast alive, visit us on our Patreon page and donate a dollar or two and check out our website for news and behind-the-scenes material. Hear us soon and be on the lookout for the next Marble Will Drop.